If you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to 2 Timothy chapter 4, all right? I have a brother named Timothy, and he is a man of the Word. He turned 59 yesterday. I told him, Timothy, you need to slow down. You are setting the pace. I'm 18 months behind you, and I want you to go slower because you're getting old too fast. And Timothy has been a student of God's Word and a preacher of God's Word for all these years, and he's named after the Timothy in the Bible. Now, I have another brother, Jonathan, whose middle name is Paul, and he is Paul because John, uh, Paul was a friend of Timothy. And my name is David, and his first name is Jonathan because Jonathan was a friend of David, and I wanted a sister so bad when the fifth boy came. And I cried and cried, and so they named him for me. Okay, his name will be Jonathan to help our grieving son, David. And that really, that really bothered Timothy. He was the oldest, and he felt really shortchanged, so we got the middle name, Paul, to console my older brother, Timothy, because Paul was a friend of Timothy. So when I turn to Timothy, I have a special connection with the book. And I feel like I'm listening to the coach. So I want you to be the coach today. As you hear this text, think about the people who listen to you. Maybe you're a parent and you're coaching kids. Maybe you're a grandparent and you're trying, and I emphasize trying, to coach grandkids like I've been doing since 5.30 this morning, okay? Maybe you're a boss and you're trying to coach your employees. Maybe you are a Sunday school teacher and you're trying to coach your class. I did chapel last night for the New Orleans Saints. You knew I was going to tell you that if it happened, all right? And there's a coach that comes every time. And he is the one who takes the most notes. He sits there with his notebook in hand and he writes down everything. He is writing furiously the whole time. He's looking for information. He wants to be able to pass on inspiration. And you're the coach. And you need to be able to speak to the people you love and care about in your life and people that are looking to you. So in 2 Timothy chapter 4, I'm telling you now, here's the great coach, the Apostle Paul, talking to his favorite player, Timothy, the one that he loves, he adopted as his son. And he is giving him his last words that we have recorded. Listen to what he says, verse 1, chapter 4 of 2 Timothy. The Apostle Paul says to his son in the ministry, in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, and in view of his appearing and his kingdom, I give you this charge. Preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. For the time will come when men will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, 
they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. But you keep your head in all situations. Endure hardship. Do the work of an evangelist. Discharge all the duties of your ministry. For I am already being poured out like a drink offering, and the time has come for my departure. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. Josh Hamilton is the MVP of the American League Championship Series that has catapulted the Texas Rangers into the World Series. He's the MVP. In 1991, he was the number one draft pick in Major League Baseball. And a couple years later, he was addicted to drugs and alcohol and on the bottom of life. And in the ninth inning, he was fighting back the tears, he said. He couldn't believe what was happening to him. His life had so turned around. He was about to go to the World Series and the most valuable player in the American League. Why? When he tells his story, it's the basics, brother. It's staying sober. It's catching the ball. It's working on hitting the ball. When he recounted to the press the way the Texas Rangers had won the pennant, he talked about the basics, learning to play small ball, working together as a team. What the Apostle Paul delivers to you as the coach are the basics for living successfully for Christ on this planet. They are basics. And he presents them in a passionate plea. He is passionate in part because he is chained in a dark dungeon somewhere in Rome, and when his friends come to find him, they have to look really hard, unlike when he was at a guest house and under house arrest, and he had his entourage around him. Now he is alone except for Luke. Everybody else has left him. Twice he mentions his chains in this last letter which he pens. And he makes this passionate plea because he believes he's about to go out of this world and to the next one. He is awaiting execution. He says he is chained like a common criminal in a dungeon in Rome. Now, you know great coaches, Joe Paterno and Bobby Bowden. Hey, these guys' names are in lights 
they are in the history books in their own time. As they complete their lives, they know they have secured their place in the Hall of Fame for college football. But think about the Apostle Paul, who has given his life for the cause of Christ and now is looking forward to public execution. So he writes to his son Timothy and he gives him this passionate plea. And he says, in view of his appearing and of his kingdom, the apostle knows that Jesus is going to come. He's going to come again. And he brings up this appearing at the end of the passage as well. So the word appearing, this coming again of the Lord Jesus, when we will see him with our eyes, it starts this appeal and it ends this appeal. This This plea is bracketed by the notion that Jesus is coming back. And that which we have embraced by faith and trusting Christ as Lord and Savior, we will one day see, we will have sight. In fact, all the world will see him. And Paul says, even those who killed him, who executed him, who persecuted him, everybody will see him. Every eye will see him. Those whom, uh, who pierced him, they will see him. So in view of his appearing and of his kingdom, there are two things here. When he uses the word kingdom, it harks back to the language of Jesus who often talked about the kingdom. And it is a political word, but the way Jesus used it was in this political reality that that transcends all other realities on the planet. You know, one day the kingdoms of this world will become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ and he will reign forever. And all these other little fiefdoms that are in the world, all these nation states and other political realities that loom so large for us are just subsumed by the kingdom that stretches across time and space and takes up the entire universe and all of human history. It is the kingdom of God. And when you are faithful in this kingdom, You are consenting to and assenting to the reality which governs everything. For he rules over all. In view of his appearing and his kingdom, the apostle says, and then he makes this three-pronged charge that you noticed and that we often quote, In view of these things, he says to Timothy, preach the word. Now, I want you to get real practical about it, coach. You got lots of opinions, all right? But you need to be immersed in the word, the good news of the gospel, the explanation of the life, testimony, and work of Jesus. Preaching the word is heralding the word. It's good not just for preachers, but for every follower of Christ who is challenged with and given the opportunity to communicate to others in their circle of influence the good news about Jesus. To be faithful in this time in view of the fact that he's coming and he rules over all. You be a herald of the good news of Jesus Christ. Look, you could have other words. I mean, we can... We live in a world of multiplied Twitters and tweets and emails. We are surrounded by words. It's a little scary. 
I don't know how the words get from one place to another, but I'm sure they're passing through the building right now, you know. I, don't, I can't figure out cell phones or anything else, but they're everywhere. How I can call a cell phone and it ring in Texas when its area code is here, I hadn't figured out any of that. But I know the word is pervasive. Words are everywhere. When we prayed this morning, one of the ministers prayed, God help every word spoken in this entire building today to be in submission to you and under your lordship. I like that prayer, don't you? Don't you like that prayer? Every word in the hallway or the classroom, the sanctuary or the lobby, every word in the building today bring you glory. Lord, let that happen. From the preschool and the tiniest children all the way to the oldest adults, every word captured by you. This is a great charge now. And it's great to pass on to those you mentor. Preach the word. Be immersed in the word. Learn how to take the word from the book and apply it in your life. Like you know your mother used to do to you. And sometimes it irritated you. Like the words about patience that my mother just went over and over with me. <laughs> you know? Let patience have her perfect work, David. Mama just gets old. Let patience have her perfect work. She was taking the word. She was sliding it into my life. It's your job. Coach, the word of God is sharp and powerful. More powerful than any other word. And it, it pierces to the very heart of things, dividing even the bone and the marrow. The word of God is powerful in your life. Turn it loose, coach. Tell them. The word. Give them the word. Preach the word. Be instant is how the King James said it. Be prepared is how the NIV says it. In season and out of season. I know sometimes it just fits for you to be on your spiritual best. It's just the time to do it. And so you do. And sometimes it is most difficult to be on your spiritual best. That's when it's out of season, okay? When it's out of season. In season and out of season. Sometimes it looks like it fits. Sometimes it looks like it doesn't. But if you're a follower of Jesus, you live the word, speak the word, and pass out the word, whether it's convenient or not. Be always ready and be instant. Coach, we're going to have to get more instant. You know when the teachable moment is, don't you? It's right at that moment when the player messes up. I mean, if you wait two minutes for the three-year-old, she's going to forget what she just did. So to be instant, to be ready, to be on your toes, to have the Word of God on your tongue and ready to apply it in life situations, that's what he's saying. Be ready always, Timothy. Just be instant. Be prepared with the Word. How do you get there? It's got to be a daily walk. Brother, sister, you can't live like this chapter recommends unless you're just walking it every day. Unless you're in the Word, you're in prayer, and you're seeking to be God's follower and disciple and His submissive child as a, as a lifestyle. It just oozes out of you. And then he says, reprove, correct, exhort, the old Bible says. 
you have two pretty tough ones that reproving and correcting. So here's the challenge, coach. You can't only focus on the positive. Sometimes you have to identify the negative. Sometimes you have to say, that's not the way to throw the block. you got to do it this way. you got to get out of that habit. Now, I'm trying to unlearn some old habits with the golf swing, and it is tough. But every time I hit the ball with those old habits, the way the ball goes reproves me. You know, that's what's nice about hitting the ball is you get instant feedback on what you did wrong. And sometimes that what, that's what we need and those we mentor need is they need instant feedback. And so Paul says, don't forget your role as a parent, as an instructor in the Word of God, is to reprove and correct. And it has the idea of discipline. And to encourage. And the word encourage is that familiar word we love. The Holy Spirit is what? The paraclete. And this is the word. Paracleto. You're called to come alongside. That's what the coach does. He comes alongside of the one he's mentoring. And he walks with him as he learns to change his swing. To change his gait. And to live out his life in faithfulness to Christ. So the three-pronged charge is simple. Herald the word. Make it the center. Be prepared always, particularly in those teachable moments that happen in your family, in the classroom. And reprove, rebuke, and exhort. Always be an encourager. Everything you do, even the discipline, even the reproof, even the correction is encouragement. It's intended to encourage and lift and help that player do better. I watch the coaches along the sidelines. I know you do too. And it's interesting to see them interacting with their players. And sometimes they really get animated when they talk to a player who has made a poor decision on the return. And they're just talking to them Uh, sternly and sometimes that's the role of the coach and we can't forget that the three-pronged charge is followed then by this notice that people will sometimes be tempted and particularly in these last days they're going to gather to themselves teachers who have itching ears and I've been trying to think about the term itching ears I know an itch once scratched right So they have this desire to have somebody scratch their itch. They want to hear something that conforms to their desire. And Paul says here they're not going to put up with sound doctrine anymore. We live in a day when the experience looms very large. And it does for many of you who are young and The mores and values of culture change. And we vacillate between the head and the heart. And there's always needing to be a balance between the head and the heart. We don't want dispassionate faith. That's dead faith. We don't want that. 
Nor do we want our faith to be like gasoline poured out on the ground in your driveway and just set on fire, just whoof, and then it's gone. We want to channel the faith that God gives us. We want our faith to have both structure and form and life and vitality. And both of those things need to be in the church of Jesus Christ and in every believer. We need to be passionate, as the apostle is, about what we believe. We ought to speak it with passion and with conviction. We need to get excited about our relationship with Christ. But we need not forget the structures and boundaries and the careful instruction of our faith. We don't want to get tired of sound doctrine. Now, sound doctrine, the word sound is just simply the word to be healthy. You want to be healthy, don't you? You're watching your diet. You're examining the food. You're reading the labels even so that you make sure you're taking in good stuff. Well, that's what the apostle is telling Timothy. There will never come a day in the church of Jesus Christ when it doesn't matter what you believe. It matters. It matters what you believe about salvation and eternal life and life after death and the nature of the Word of God. It matters what you believe about those things. And there's some people who don't want to hear that anymore. They don't want to hear about sound doctrine. The day will come, the apostle said, when people won't put up with it anymore. What are they going to do? Well, they're going to find a teacher that tells them what they want to hear. That's what they're going to do. And you can always find that, believe me. Just turn on your TV. Turn on your, you're going to find a teacher who will tell you what you want to hear. You ought to identify now that it is our fleshly tendency to celebrate that which confirms our biases. Okay? It's in me, it's in you. We celebrate what confirms our biases, and when our biases are challenged, we are given pause for thought, and it takes us back. It makes us step back for a minute. Wait a minute. Almost every week, I communicate something where somebody in the pew or somebody in the church family takes a step back and says, wait, what about that? And I'm praying every day that my remarks are consistent with the Word of God and they fit the Word of God. We have this discussion sometimes about worship planning. And sometimes I've preached on just a subject. And that is the tendency in our day, is to preach on a subject. I've been doing it now 38 years, and what I discover is, if I just pick my subjects, I'm always on my favorite stuff. And I repeat myself over and over again. And it is better for me, it is a better discipline for me, to have to work through a Bible passage. So that you can communicate to the people and to yourself the full counsel of God. Instead of just harping on your soapbox every Sunday. Now there, there are some folks who just want to hear what they want to hear. But usually when I come to church I want somebody to open the Bible and tell me what God's word says. Because there's lots of opinions in the world. But this is the inspired word of God and I want to hear this. And so that's my bias. 
And it's my plan to take a passage like 2 Timothy 4, 1 to 8 and try to unfold it and make it applicable to your life. Because what you really need is not my opinions, but the Word of God. And the Word of God is sound doctrine. It'll keep you healthy spiritually. The other stuff will make you sick. The unhealthy doctrine is going to disappoint you. Maybe you bought into some things at the front end of your walk with Christ that simply weren't true. And you get on later in your walk and you're wondering, well, why didn't that work out? Maybe it wasn't sound doctrine. To suit their own desires, they gather around them teachers who have these ears that itch. And they have two ways they're going to turn. They'll turn their ears from the truth. And they will turn aside to myths. They're going to turn from the truth and turn to myths. We believe in the truth of the life and death of Jesus Christ and the good news that salvation comes through him and him alone. We believe in the truth that God inspired holy men of old as they wrote and that these gathered documents communicate the, the truth and reality of God in his in his work with humans through the generations. We believe these things. But we can turn aside on to myths. The scripture says here, and it uses that word, muthos. You can go back to the lie. You know, you can abandon the truth and go back to the lie. And sometimes we do that. Peter said, the dog has returned to his vomit. And the hog to his wallowing in the mud. He said, sometimes people just go back to the old way of life that they know was just killing them. It was working death in them and in their relationships. Everything about them was dying, not living. But we have this temptation to hear what we want to hear, what satisfies our lust and desire, and go back to the lie. Paul says here, but you, verse 5, but you... The distinguished you, coach, I want you to be distinguished in your walk, okay? But you, you're going to do differently. You're not going to be one of these that just feed your appetites with teachers that tell you what you want to hear. You, you're going to be different. He says you, and then he says four things. Keep your head in all situations. Hey, that's good coaching, no matter whether you're in education or government, or business, wherever you are. Keep your head in all situations. I wonder if Rudyard Kipling was thinking about this verse when he started his poem, if, if you can keep your head when all about you are losing theirs and blaming it on you. He said, you're going to be a man one day, my son, if you can keep your head when all about you are losing theirs and blaming it on you. Sometimes a calmness and serenity of spirit is essential to the positive outcome of a situation. Often it is the person who is steady, sturdy, calm, and collected who stabilizes the chaotic moment. Paul says to Timothy, keep your head when? 
in all situations. Be aware of yourself. Practice self-control. Our director for Louisiana Baptist Work wrote, a, wrote an article this week. He called it, Slow to Blog. I like that, don't you? I mean, the Scripture says slow to speak. How about slow to blog? How about keep your head on Facebook? Keep your head on those emails and those Twitters and tweets. Keep your head, brother. Think about it. David told me, uh, he said, I'm, I'm now practicing a 24-hour delay before I respond to anything in the Electronic media. I just, I just put it aside. I'm trying to do that too. Before I respond to things now, I send them to my friends. I send a response. Say, would you take a look at this? Say how this sounds to you. And I get back edits and corrections. And it's good for me. Keep your head in all situations. Practice calmness. Be circumspect. Endure hardship that's coming your way. The good coach knows he's got to tell his players that. Sometimes it's going to be tough, and sometimes you have to play through your pain. And part of following Jesus is learning how to care for others, even when you are suffering. How to wrench your attention from the pain in you to the people who need you, and what a healing power that has when you do it. Do the work of an evangelist. This is work. This is the work of an evangelist. That word keeps cropping up in the New Testament. Sometimes it's just work. You know, the French are upset. You know why? They're marching in the streets. I mean, they're striking. They've closed down the refineries. 25% of the gas stations in France are closed and you can't buy petro. Why? Because the government has proposed a plan to raise the retirement age from 60 to 62. To 62. I mean, as an American who is thinking about full retirement to 65, 60 sounds pretty thin. 62 sounds pretty good. But the French are upset. Sometimes we get upset because we got to work. And we think work is part of the curse. And I told you before, as a follower of Jesus, you need to embrace your work as part of God's plan and purpose for you. That, it, that work preceded the fall. Before there ever was sin, there was work. Taking care and tending the garden. And do your work unto God. This work of an evangelist is the work of one who proclaims and who heralds the good news. The center of the word evangelist is evangel. It is good news. And brothers, I like the good part of the news that I preach. Sometimes I have to preach bad news. But the wonderful thing is this good news is embedded in the middle of our proclamation and the Word of God. It is good news that God loves us. And good news that He sent His Son to save us. Discharge all the duties of your ministry, He says. And this is the word for deacons. So deacons, I want you to hear this, but it's also everybody... In the church, everybody's a servant. The word deacon is just that generic word for servant. Make full proof 
of your ministry. Tap it out. Do it well. Do it best. Do it fully. Do it day after day, week after week, and year after year. Discharge all the duties of the ministry God has committed to you, whether it is the ministry of mercy, the ministry of service, the ministry of teaching, the ministry of proclamation, the ministry of healing, whatever it might be, the ministry given to your care. Do it with all your heart. Do it fully. And then he concludes with this metaphor that he uses once before in his teaching. For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time has come for my departure. I have fought the good fight, and the word fight has in it the idea of the arena and the coliseum and the contest. He's reflecting upon his execution, I think. I don't know how he's going to die. But he says, I have fought the good fight. I've been put in the arena, and I've given my best. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me on that day, and not only to me, but to all those who love his appearing. I talked to a man this week who is going to die shortly. He has a terminal disease. The sickness is working its way out through his arms and his legs. You can see the sores that are on his body. He said, I'd like to pray for you. And he said, all right. And he'd spoken in such a way that I knew he was distressed. And I said, you know, God loves you. You know what he said? I don't know about the love of God. He said, I just pray to the creator. And I told him, our understanding of creation as followers of Jesus is that it includes the love of God. Our doctrine of creation includes God's providential care for all that he has made, including you. He loves you. And you must receive that as a fundamental to ever be oriented rightly in your life. The love of God surpassing all understanding is beyond your comprehension. You'll never get your mind around it. But he loves you. You are his. He bought you twice. When he made you. And when he sent his son to die on the cross for you. He paid the full penalty for all of your failure. He loves you that much. This is a moment to say yes to the God who cares about you. Let's pray together. Lord, do your work in this moment, we pray. Let your Holy Spirit speak and give us ears to hear and a heart to respond. In Jesus' name, amen.